Well, there are not a lot of things that I'm just 100% certain about, but this next statement, I'm, I'm pretty confident that I'm, you know, I'm not stepping out on any limbs here when I say this, but we all have things that get on our nerves and under our skin, right? We all have those items that just annoy us. And there's the general things like taxes, right? Those annoy, I hope, all of us. Uh, and then uh, there's the DMV, pretty much anything government run, it gets on our nerves. Uh, but then there's those individual items, right? That really, they drive us up a wall. They almost make us like furious or mad or this close to yelling, right? I don't know if you yell in your house, hopefully not. But for me, uh, there's, there's a handful of things that just, they just drive me bonkers. Uh, I live in a house with three small children and my wife. And um, one of those items is when, when I go to the restroom and someone has used all the toilet paper, but they didn't bother to replace it, right? Like what kind of evil individual thinks, eh, I'll leave that later for somebody, right? And I know their argument is always, well, you could have looked before and it's supposed to be there. That's my responsibility. If I use the last of it, I should replace it, right? Or how about this one? I learned this pretty early on in my days in Kentucky. Uh, there's a great pastime in this state of people pulling out in front of you, <laughs> driving 25 for 100 yards and then turning off. What, what is it? What is it? Like, did you not look? Or are you just like, you afraid I'm in a hurry? Or what, what's going on there? How about this one? Uh, people that don't put their shopping carts back. Can I get an amen? I mean, it's literally 10 feet away. All you got to do is push it over there. It's not, it's not hard. It's not difficult. Just do it. You get more steps that way, right? I don't, I don't understand this. Um, now, this one, like if you drive a big vehicle, I get it, okay? I can have some sympathy. I've got some questions why you should buy such a large vehicle, but people that can't park their cars between the lines, right? Like, I go to the grocery store and it's like, this Prius, what, did, you, did somebody turn a wild badger loose in your car while you tried to park this thing? I mean, it's not big and you're, you're just over here. I mean, literally the other day I was sitting and watching a guy, he parked, his wheels are over the line and he gets out and he walks all the way around the vehicle looking at it and then he leaves and I'm like, what was he looking at? Cause he missed, right? He didn't make it. What are you doing? Like the car next to you, they're never gonna be able to get in cause you're a moron, right? And here, how about this one? Some of y'all, some of y'all are going to be educated, okay? When you're on the interstate and somebody drives in the passing lane. Now, some of y'all don't know this, okay? So this may be the only thing you take out of today, and God help me, I hope it is. The right lane is for driving, and the left lane is for passing. It's not about how fast you're going. It's about passing. If you're in the right lane and somebody's slower, you get in the left lane and you pass. And when you're done passing, you get in the right lane. That's how the interstate works, people. Stop. We might have revival today, okay? If you're a left-hand driver, please just, just, just remember. Remember the crazy guy that told you at church, that's not for driving, it's for passing, okay? That's all I got to tell you. Okay, so some of us may be perturbed with this next statement that I make. And it's okay, we're gonna be okay. Because you may have grown up like me and you've got some baggage when it comes to church and you have some baggage when it comes to how you read the scriptures and what you think about when you think about God, but just bear with me, don't throw rocks, I'm gonna explain myself. 
Jesus had some things that got on his nerves and under his skin. Now, some of us, we like to walk around with this unfortunate image of Jesus as if he never got bothered. He was always happy, never upset, always a joy to be around, which I would, I would, I could see how you would get to that place. Never got angry, never got frustrated with people. Always this even killed kind of guy that never was bothered by anything. And I understand that because we know that Jesus was fully God. All right. He embodied and lived a life that would, that pursued unlimited and unconditional love of those around him. He was compassionate. He was patient. All the things I wish I was. <laughs> he was forgiving and he extended mercy to the worst of the worst in the world. But here's what I also know. Jesus was also fully man. Now, I don't know how that math maths, okay? Yeah, right? Nobody does. Like my, my eight-year-old asking us, buddy, I don't know. You're going to have to go ask somebody way smarter than me. He was fully God and he was fully man. And things got under his skin. You know how I know that? Because he had siblings. We know he had at least four brothers and a couple of sisters. And you can't tell me, and if you're only child, you don't get it. And I'm sorry, okay? There's an extra special blessing with siblings. They know how to get under your skin better than anything. And Jesus had those. He had siblings. And you can't tell me there was one day where Jesus had had enough of James following him around. And he thought, I could take a walk out on that lake. And he probably wouldn't chase me much more. Some of y'all get that later, but that's okay. Then he had the 12, you know, 12 guys. You had James and John. They wanted to call thunder down on anybody that just made a mistake. Peter chopped the guy's ear off. So he's probably annoyed with that. That's annoying. That's frustrating. I don't know if you've ever had to put a limb back on, but I don't think it's easy to do, right? Then there were the crowds, like people everywhere. There was a reason he got up early in the morning. It was to spend time with God and be away from people, all right? And then there were the miracles, right? I mean, his first miracle, he turned water to wine. Could you imagine the wedding invitations he got after that? <laughs> Jimmy, I'm not coming to your fight night. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not coming to change water. To, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, okay? It had to be, at times, annoying. And when, when we read the scriptures, because I know I can see in some of your faces, you're taking this way too seriously. Uh, you shouldn't, okay? It's okay. When we actually read the scriptures, we actually see things that annoyed him in the pages of the scriptures. There were things that he encountered that, that annoyed him and frustrated him and made him angry. When, when people mistreated children, right? When, when, when people made it hard for those far from God to come close to God, that, that frustrated and annoyed Jesus. Greed, I mean, he literally turned over an entire temple because of the greed of the religious elite. But there, there was one thing, there was one thing that seemed to just irk Jesus more than all the other things. And it was seemingly, he was seemingly intolerant of it. It was a mindset that, that some of us, probably all of us have had at one point of time, uh, that he found it deeply offensive when he saw it. And he actively in his ministry worked hard to undo it when he saw it in those people. And he worked tirelessly to change that mindset. And he was at odds with those that practices. And it was this, self-righteousness. And why is that? Why was self-righteousness the thing that Jesus seemed to be most perturbed by? Because Jesus 
seemed pretty all right, pretty tolerant of the unrighteous, the sinners, the less thans. But when it came to this, it was almost like he was intolerant of it and couldn't allow it. And, but he knows that this thing, it's a dangerous thing. It puts us in a dangerous place. And it's easy for us when we are in faith to drift away into self-righteousness. Because self-righteousness, it could convince me that I'm right when I'm not. But worse than that, more than that, it's this mindset that says, because I'm right, I'm better than you. It leads us to mistreat the people around us. It leads us to undermine the relationships that are closest to us. And not only that, it causes us to destroy the influence we have with those we're called to reach. And that's why it bothered Jesus. So Jesus, he was intolerant of all these things when it was his self-righteousness. That he didn't want us to destroy the influence we had with those we were called to reach. And when we read through the Gospels, you almost always find that Jesus had a crowd around him. And they were always divided into two types of people. Sinners or saints. Righteous or self-righteous. I'm sorry, unrighteous or self-righteous. You had the religious, you had the non-religious. And Jesus, he was known by most everyone, specifically the religious leaders, as a friend of sinners. He gravitated toward those kinds of people whose, whose lives were just a mess. He, he moved in their direction as if he was drawn to them. He moved in their direction to help move them in his direction. And we find that people that were nothing like Jesus, they liked Jesus. And here was the thing, Jesus liked them back which should be a cue for us as a church. Maybe there should be people that are not like us that like us. He, he dined with them. He went into their homes. He, he made heroes of them in his stories that he would share and the parables that he told. He welcomed them into his presence. He loved them despite their messes, despite the condition that they came to him in. And then on the other hand, there was the other group. Jesus' harshest words were for the self-righteous, were for the religious elite that took their righteousness and held it over other people's heads. In fact, he called this group of people out publicly multiple times. In his first sermon, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. And there was no hesitation or a misunderstanding on who he was talking about. He didn't have to say, Jack, you're self-righteous, right? He just had to say, hey, don't be like these people. And everybody knew who he was pointing that comment to. He called attention to their giving because when they gave, they, they were just looking for the applause of the people around them to be, you give so much, right? He, he called out their hypocrisy when they came to pray because they would go to pray so they could be heard. They would fast so that they could be seen. They were doing all the right things, but for the wrong reason and with the wrong motives. They cared more about posturing for their tribe than they did helping people come close to God. 
They cared more about the applause of their friends than they did reaching those far from God. And it teaches us something. Self-righteous people care more about how they do what they do than why they do what they do. And for all of us, we need to care about why we do what we do, not just how we do what we do. And Jesus, he would call them out. He says, why, why? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? It's a great question, right? Why, why do we do that? Why are we so quick to judge the small problem that somebody else has and neglect the small problem we have? It's because it's easy. It's a lot easier to look at your issues and your problems and your sins than it is to address my own. Because to address my own, it requires self-awareness. It requires work. It requires me to invite other people into my mess and I don't want people to see my mess. It's much more enjoyable for me to overplay your sins and your issues than it is to look at mine. It's easier for me to draw attention to your problems that you're having and pay no attention to the problems I have because it works out good for me, right? I get to hide behind your sin and I get to keep my pet sin. We just find somebody that we think is worse off and we condemn them, we judge them, we write them off, we move them out of the side and we have them as this item that we can always look to when we need to feel better about ourselves. We find that someone who's more guilty or worse off than we are. And we look to them to be encouraged. We point at other people's problems that we don't necessarily have and we avoid confronting our own. We create this hierarchy of sin as if one sin was worse than another. Because my sin, it's little. Your sin, <laughs> it's big, right? Look at how little my sin is. Look how cute it is. I'm just gonna keep it. You should get rid of yours though. We demand change from those kinds of people. But we don't demand change from ourselves. And Jesus found this repulsive. Because self-righteousness, it makes us bad at honesty and good at hypocrisy. Not only that, self-righteousness, it causes us to prioritize being right over being kind. I was told early on in my marriage, I can be right or I can be happy. I cannot be both. I wish I learned a little quicker because there are days I just like to be right because I know I'm right. Right? We, we all find ourselves in that place. We would rather be right than kind. We see that every day. It's called social media. Right? Self-righteous people, they love to correct, but they hate being corrected. And that's where it leads us. It leads us to a place where we can't ever be told that we're wrong. Now, Luke, he records a, a parable that Jesus told, a particular story uh, that Jesus shared with two groups of people, sinners and saints. And uh, he had this tendency to really go after the religious establishment. And as usual, we find in this story that they've been following Jesus around, the religious and the unreligious. And they're asking these questions of Jesus and he's, they're expressing their disapproval, the religious that is. And, he, and Luke, he, he records it this way. He says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness, right? 
to some of those who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Now, Luke looks like he's got a little stick to poke, right? <laughs> there it is, right there, right in front of us. Those who look down on others. Those who talk down to others because of the way they live. That's who Jesus is talking to in this parable. Jesus is going to talk to those in the crowd along with any of us that choose self-righteousness. That choose to climb up on our pedestal and speak down to people that sin differently than we sin that get on our moral high ground or our moral high horse and we use that to feel better about ourselves. Because self-righteous people see people who are different from them as less than them. And we've, all, we, we've got that in this room. We've got people in this congregation, in this church. They are different from you. Did you know, did you know we have Democrats that go to this church? I don't know what to do with that. Hey, Democrats, do you know we have Republicans in this church? Do you know we come together for a few hours on a Sunday and we don't argue and bicker about nothing? Unless you find them in a hallway and then argue and bicker about that. But don't do that, right? There are people in this room, they're different from you. You got healthy eaters. You got unhealthy eaters. You got crossfitters. You got everybody else, right? <laughs> Don't come at me. I know you could beat me up, okay? Jesus, he begins with this parable. He says, two men, they went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. His story, it begins with two men. A highly respected Pharisee. He's regarded as holy, the guardian and champion of good theology, of morality. That this man, he's close to God. He's dotted every religious I and he's crossed every religious T. He was by, he was, a, he was the kind of guy that was just by the book. He did it the way you're supposed to do it. He followed the rules. If there was a box to check, he checked it. If there was a rule to follow, he kept it. He even add a little extra sometimes, just to make sure he, he kept it. He excelled at everything that we would admire as someone that was spiritual or of faith. He was passionate, he was committed. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. But there's a dark side to faith, right? Because I've always heard it as this, time in erodes awareness of. The longer, the longer I spend in my faith, the further I become unaware of where I came from. Does that make sense? Like, I once was lost. And the closer I get to God, the less closer I feel to what it's like to be lost. But that's, that's the danger we face, that we can get to this place where we think, I'm all right, I'm doing pretty good. And this Pharisee, that's where he was at. He felt himself better than others and he was frustrated by others because they weren't where he was. And he was superior to those that were less than him and he elevated himself above them. And Jesus says, the other, a tax collector, I mean, the lowest of lows. In one parable, the author writes that Jesus was in front of tax collectors and sinners as if there were two different categories. Like there was sinners and there was lower than that tax collectors. Like they're the worst of the worst. They are traitors to their nation. They are enemies to their country and their people. 
They were thought of and disdained as cheats and thieves. They were reprobates, right? They were seen as unlovable and irredeemable and they had no place close to God. And here they are at the temple, the one place where man and God can be together. And it's the epicenter of division. It's created to create division. And the Pharisee, he stood, he stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not like the robbers and the evildoers and the adulterers and the Democrats and the Republicans and the CrossFitters, whatever you want to add there. And then he says, or even like this tax collector. God, you're so lucky to have me. I'm so good at being good. I'm so great at being great, right? This guy's got clear categories, just like all of us. He's got labels he likes to put on people. And they have different values than him, and he looks down on them. And we attach these different values to sin, and we create this made-up hierarchy of the good things and the not-so-good things. And in his mind, there was a system of the most important boxes that he was going to check, the things to do the interpretations to make, the behaviors that make him a good person. Because self-righteous people, they look down on the sinners who sin differently than they do. And Jesus' problem here is not with the Pharisee. It's not with the person. It's with the mindset. It's with the way of life. It's with their disposition. It's with their attitude. It's with the way they practice They were opposite to the kingdom of God. This man, this Pharisee, he had a list of people. And when he went to pray, he prayed through that list so he could remind himself of how good he was. And for some of us, maybe here today, you've, you've got a list. You've got a list where you're like, thank God I'm not like this person. Jesus would encourage you to get rid of it. He says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. He went above and beyond what he was called to do. He fasted more. He prayed more. He tithed more. He, he gave more. The problem is he trusted those empty rituals to get extra points from God. But here's the thing. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's not like extra favor that you get because you follow the rules. There's not extra blessing. You don't get a seat at the right hand of God. Thank you, James and John, right? He allowed what he did to create distance and disdain and disgust toward those that didn't do it the way he did. But the tax collector, the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He kept his distance. He, he wouldn't even come or wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I mean, this man wasn't even allowed in the temple. That he, had to, he had to literally stand on the outside of it, in the margins. But yet he came and he saw himself for what he was, a sinner, 
in desperate need of something that he couldn't provide for himself. And he would cry out for mercy and forgiveness. He would cry out for, for sin to be taken away, for his guilt to be removed, to not have to deal with the shame and the pain that it brought when he thought about it. He asked for what he couldn't possibly earn, what he would never deserve. He couldn't buy it, he couldn't bargain for it. And it was this, it was grace. All he wanted was grace. He didn't want what he deserved. He knew he deserved it, but he didn't want it. He wanted grace. Grace is what we all want when we realize that we're guilty. Guilt is what makes us thirsty. Guilt is what makes us thirsty for more grace. And what's the difference between these two individuals? This tax collector and this Pharisee was pride. Pride is the attitude that leads us to think we deserve grace. But the moment you think you deserve grace, it has stopped becoming grace. Grace is not something we deserve. That is the very nature of grace. Pride, it keeps us from admitting that we need it. That, that we don't have it all together, that I'm a mess and that you're a mess, that I'm not where I wanna be and you're not where I wanna be. It's that thing that keeps me from admitting that. It's the thing that keeps me from realizing that I can't do anything without grace. And it keeps us, at, at worst, it keeps us from extending grace. Pride, it's that barrier between us and the grace we so desperately need. And it says, I'm okay. I'm okay where I'm at. I don't need God. I tell you this, Jesus would say, this man, this, this tax collector, this lowest of low, this scum, this traitor, this man, rather than the other, rather than the holy man, the man of God, the man close to God, the tax collector, he went home justified before God. For all those who exalted themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's how he ends the parable. And for the people in the audience, that is shocking. I mean, there's no hint of change from the tax collector. The story doesn't tell us he goes home and gives all his things away like it does Zacchaeus, right? It doesn't tell us anything. It says he just prayed and he was justified. No hint of change. And the audience is sitting there thinking, <laughs> That's not fair. You know what I love my kids to say? Daddy, that's not fair. Life's not fair. And neither is grace. Grace is never fair. We don't want fair, trust me. In order to receive grace, I must be willing to be honest with God. And in my self-righteousness, it makes me very self, unself-aware. I'm not aware of my own sin. I'm not conscious of my own problems. I don't see myself the way I should see myself. And Jesus doesn't take the Pharisee and put him on the level with the tax collector. No, he just says the tax collector is the more upright. He doesn't, he doesn't downplay the Pharisee. 
he just lifts up the tax collector. And for the people in the crowd, this is offensive. It's unsettling. It's unnerving. It causes something in us to go, I don't like that. Unless it's for me. But that's grace. It betrays our sensibilities. And if you're offended by that, you should pay attention. Because that's a cue. That's a cue for you that something's off in you. And it's a cue for me that something's off in me. Because self-righteous people always, I'm sorry, self-righteous people are always offended when grace is extended. Because in what kind of world, in what kind of world does a tax collector more upright than a Pharisee? And simple, the kingdom of God. There are so many things that we can take away from this parable. So many items that we can process and, and imply in our own lives. Uh, here, here are just a couple. One, God isn't impressed with our morality. He's moved by our humility. Did you know in the prophet Isaiah, he, he writes a text. Uh, you, you should go read it. I'm horrible with scripture references and I've forgotten it, but I know what it says, okay? He compared our most righteous moments. He says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Anybody want me to tell you what that really means? Or you want me to just leave it there? The term he uses there is a minstrel rag. I bring the best thing I have to offer to God. And it's a bloody rag. Now, I'm not saying that we should have a case of the poor me's, but I should know my place. And I should know that anything I bring to God, it's not much, but I should be willing to bring all I've got to God. This parable, it also shows us this. Those who have freely received grace should also freely give grace. Luke 12 says, when, when we have been given much, much will be required in return. And when it comes to God's grace, we have been given much. And it's our responsibility to give it back to those that desperately need grace. Because when I make little of my sin, I make little of my savior. And last, grace. Grace has always been and will always be scandalous. Because Grace isn't fair. We don't want fair. Fair means hell. That's what fair means. Fair means I get what I deserve. And that's what I deserve. We all want grace. And grace is free because the provider, he paid the cost. He paid the bill. And this story, it teaches us, the story of these two men, it teaches us something that we all share. And it was something that they shared and they just didn't know it. Both were sinners, but both were loved. And that's true for us. We are all sinners. But the better part is we are all sinners loved by God. And I don't get to stand on a pedestal and look down at you 
Because the fact of the matter is we're all messed up. We're all jacked up, all right? We're all screwed up. I get to move to the front of the line. That's what Paul said, right? I'm the worst. I don't deserve anything, but I'm thankful for grace. None of us make the cut. None of us make the team. But that's the amazing thing about the stories we find in the scripture, that God continually invites us into his story to be a part of it. Not because we deserve it, because of his grace. None of us make the team. But Jesus, he came and he died in our place. He bore our sin. He paid our debt. And he lived a life that we couldn't live. So how do do we receive this grace? How do we come to a place where we realize I messed up just like everybody else? And it's simple, you ask for it. You ask for it. Remember that annoying little brother, James? Later on in life, he became a follower of Jesus. Ask yourself, what would it take for you to look at your sibling and think, you're the savior of the world? Take something. But he says this, that God, he gives grace graciously. And the scriptures tell us that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, all of us, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Of all the people that had the right to be right. He chose to be humble. I mean, Jesus could have walked on this same planet and said, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and here's what you get. He didn't. He chose kindness. He chose love. He chose patience, self-control. Sometimes he needed that God part of him a little more. We are all in desperate need of God's grace. We are all in desperate need of God's grace. And we all need to be constantly reminded of why Jesus came. And it's simple. Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. And once upon a time, I was lost. And every single day of my life, I need to remind it of what he's done for me. And I need to be humble enough to come and ask for his grace to be shown to me. Because here's the thing, when I elevate myself over people, I separate myself from God's purpose. My purpose is to help God seek and save what is lost. And if I'm busy standing on a pedestal, speaking down at people, I can't build influence with that. I can't change hearts with that. 
I can't change hearts, period. <laughs> That's God's job. I'm just a messenger. Before I come up here, every time, my God, I'm like, God, all I have to give is a voice. That's it. My words mean nothing without you. And it's a reminder of God's grace for me. We all need to be constantly reminded of that grace. And we all need to be constantly reminded of God's purpose to seek and to save what's lost. So this week, my question is, are you gonna choose to annoy Jesus? Are you gonna choose to see yourself just like he sees us all, all on the same playing field, all sinners, all loved by God? Father, I pray that you would remove the self-righteous spirit that I often have. That desire within me to be right at the expense of being kind. And Father, this week as we go about our time in our lives, that, that if that pops up in our minds, if it pops up that maybe, maybe just, just for a moment, I'm getting a little bit self-righteous. I'm thinking myself a little better than this person. I would just ask you to remind us of the great grace you've extended to us. The grace that you've poured at us through, through your son, Jesus. And use that moment as a reminder to remind me that I'm no better off without you. I'm in the same place that they're at, lost, harassed, helpless because of sin. And Father, help me this week Help us this week in those moments to not be a voice of self-righteousness, but be a voice of grace to those that need it extended their way. We thank you. In your name we pray.